HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. This is Chef Emily Peterson, host of Sharp and Hot. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Welcome to another episode of Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze. Today we're continuing our old school, new school series with two makers of fantastic artisanal sheep cheeses. On the line, we have David Major of Vermont Shepherd, who's been making iconic Pyrenees-style sheep cheeses in Vermont since the late 80s. How are you doing, David? Hi, Greg. I'm doing well. Thanks. Thanks for coming on. Representing the new school, we have Veronica Pedraza on the line. She's currently head cheesemaker at Meadowwood Farm in Casanova, New York. Thanks for talking with us today, Veronica. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm fantastic. It stopped raining here, so I'm super happy. All right. <laughs> so my first question to both of you guys is um, it's going to be reminiscent of a question I asked to the goat cheesemakers who were on uh, last week, and they expounded on it quite well, and that is why sheep? Why sheep, and why is sheep's milk so special? David, you want to go into that for us? Uh, well, why sheep? Why sheep? In my own particular case, is it's sheep are what I grew up with, and they're very well adapted to the hills of Vermont, um, where I uh, farm. And um, then uh, the sheep's milk itself is uh, very rich. It's about twice as rich as uh, cow's milk or goat's milk, and uh, so you get a lot of cheese from from uh, a given volume of sheep's milk, twice as much as you do from a given volume of cow's milk or goat's milk. You said that that's what you grew up with, uh, so you were a shepherd or you've been around sheep your entire life? Yeah, my my uh, family, my parents had sheep when I was growing up, yes. On the same farm or? Uh, Pretty that... much, uh, you know, on the same road. Uh, what what uh, I now farm uh, used to be two farms when I was growing up. And uh, the northern half of this farm that I farm is where my parents still live and where I grew up, yes. And you've been at the Vermont Shepherd. I mean, that, that's your farm. So right. mean, and, uh, how many sheep have you got over there? Oh, uh, Most uh, summers we milk about 200. What are the breeds? 
the breeds are um, descendants of the sheep that my folks had, which were Dorset crosses, and then uh, mixed with Tunis, which is a sheep uh, that first came to the country way back when the first settlers came, and it's got a sort of red face and red uh, legs, and uh, Frisian, which is a northern European dairy breed. And you make a, you know, you you make one of the most iconic cheeses, um, artisan cheeses in America, definitely the, what I call Vermont Shepherds, but um, we know now as Verano, uh, one of the most hard to find cheeses <laughs> at any counter in the U.S. Absolutely, you are very frugal with your stock, um, which is uh, appreciated by those of us who are lucky enough to get it. Um, and you make a you make a Pyrenees style cheese, and I was wondering if you could tell me what inspired you, or what why did you decide to make that type of cheese. Oh gosh, it was just a uh, happenstance, really. I, uh, we were when we first got started, we were trying every cheese under the sun, and including a blue cheese, and the blue cheese didn't turn blue. So uh, we, but it, but but that's what sold the best, and in the local farmers market, and so we sent a sample to Patrick Rance. Uh, oh yeah, English cheesemonger and a uh, guy, a fellow who had written a book about French cheeses and about English cheeses. Uh, One of the most of expensive cheese books I have ever purchased in my life: the out of yeah. book, the history of French cheeses. And right. So it was a windfall. I mean, it, that's such a particular type of uh, of cheese, um, and one of my favorites. Um, that's uh, decidedly uh, old school because that's the that's the one cheese that everybody. I mean, you guys make other cheeses. But that's the one cheese that runs through, um, right. I think, you know, most of the market of artisanal American cheeses. Um, Veronica, um, how are you? I wanted to ask you the similar type of question. Uh, why sheep for you? Um, why sheep? They make the best, that's the best milk for making cheese. Uh, it's also the cheeses that I enjoy eating the most. You uh, you make several styles yourself, um, and uh, I remember when you were on your um, your last episode of Cutting the Curd. Uh, so you want to be a cheesemaker? You were talking about that you wanted to make uh, cheeses in the the style of La Serena and uh, Portuguese type cheeses, like a, a, a Serra Estrella, I imagine. And uh, do you feel that you've achieved that goal, or you're closer to achieving that goal? <laughs> uh, I'm not close to achieving that goal. Um, I actually had uh, the farm down the road, vegetable farm, plant some cardoons for me this year, because you, uh, you need the rennet of uh, thistle flower, exactly. which is uh, not available in this country. So um, I went with some other cheeses uh, based on uh, recommendations when I spoke with cheesemongers about what kind of cheeses were sort of underrepresented on the counter. And what were their answers? Uh, washed rind, soft ripened, um, a lot of you know things in the style of um, little Piedmont cheeses or cheeses from the Piedmont. Um, you know, I really like eating David's cheese personally. Um, does. <laughs> <laughs> but I felt like uh, if I wanted, you know, starting starting a new brand. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of uh, aged sheep's milk cheese out there. Not necessarily domestic, but certainly imported. And um, I couldn't compete with the price of those cheeses on the counter. And um, 
you know, it just seemed like there was a good bit of saturation of that style of product. So it didn't seem like a good um, something to start with. So, um, you know, I, I started making, I have a lot of experience making soft cheese. So, well, yeah, was, you worked uh, for Jasper Hill and the Sweetgrass Dairy in your, in your past. I remember that you said that you had wanted to work with sheep. It's funny, I wanted to ask both of you guys, um, the goat cheese makers who were on last week really made a point of saying they didn't like sheep as animals. And I was thought that was interesting. So I was wondering if you guys could tell me why or if you like the animals that produce this great milk that make your cheeses. Well, of course I love them. I dream of them. I work with them all day long. And I've lived with them my entire life. And uh, I, th- I think the, uh, the folks who, uh, who were on the show last week just don't know sheep. Really? Well, yeah. what, they say that the goats have a, have a different kind of personality. Do you find that sheep have a, have a, have a nice personality as well? I know that's sure. a, an odd question. Absolutely. And, and, and uh, the thing about um, uh, sheep is that they, I mean, everyone calls them uh, sort of slow-witted or, or, uh, and, and they stick together and so on, but um, they have their own, uh, their own smarts, their own way of being, which in, in some ways exceeds that of humans and that of goats. And, uh, really? in some ways not. And, um, uh, and, you know, they, they, they can be appreciated for what they are. And, and just as an example, I, in the fall, after we stop milking, we, we take the sheep, uh, you know, miles away to, to, uh, meadows that are uh, over Hill and Dale to graze uh, the extra grass before the snow comes yeah. of neighbors, neighbors' neighbors' fields. So a sheep might have, one particular ewe might have gone on a particular woodland trail once in her life before. She will know where to go. Uh, and we people would never, never, having gone once three years ago on a woodland trail, would never remember which way to go. And the sheep do because they have, they're built to have this map in their heads of where the best forages are, uh, and that's what they live for. And, uh, you know, that's one example of how being a sheep is, is, is something special. <laughs> do, you believe that, do you believe that sheep have a photographic memory? Is that what you're telling me? In that department, absolutely. Veronica, yeah. would you agree with that? I mean, I don't work with uh, animals very much. I'm not really, to be honest with you, an animal person. I mean, I like dogs, but uh, sheep, goats, cows, uh, the most important thing to me is their milk. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, I would say that I enjoy being on a sh- on a farm that has sheep more than being on a farm with goats. Um, when I was at Sweetgrass, we had goats, um, and they were constantly getting out of their confinements um, and sort of wreaking havoc all over the farm. So sheep are kind of easygoing, sort of laid back. Um, they don't really, you know, they they go where you put them. So they're they're maybe a representative of the, of, a, of a more low maintenance human being maybe than uh, than the goats are. The goats are a little bit more uh, a little bit more free spirited. I just thought it was interesting. So, you know, goats are like uh, like fraternity boys. Really, you know, that's but I, kind of my impression of, of goats. Um, why is yeah. that? I think that's why, why is that. <laughs> I just I think they're 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 kind of wild. Um, you know, they always seem to be getting into something that uh that they, you know, shouldn't be getting into. Um and I mean they I make understand. the same amount of sh- 
I mean, as far as a small ruminant animal is concerned, uh, they make the same amount of milk as a sheep, but you only get half the amount of cheese. So, well, the yield is always uh, is always different um, with the, with smaller animals. I mean that that even I know. But I wanted to ask you guys another question um, that came up in our in our series, and it was uh, the question of uh, raw milk versus pasteurized milk. I felt that it was interesting. Um, in the first show I did, I, I had Yos Volto um, of the Volto Creamery, who makes raw milk washed rind cheeses, and he was my new schooler. Um, and Franklin Peluso was my old schooler who made pasteurized cheeses. Um, the new schooler in my uh, my goat's milk also made unpasteurized cheeses, and the old schooler Judy Shad had switched to pasteurized cheeses. But here we have a we we're we're different. Uh, David, you make only raw milk cheese, correct? That's correct, with with, with the exception of the ricotta, which of course is pasteurized in its making. Yeah, by nature. Right, by nature. But but you're right. The the our basic basic cheeses are from raw milk. And yeah. you and uh, you know Judy spoke about why she switched them. and would you ever consider switching? No. And why I don't think so. Uh, I mean I I really appreciate the um, the sort of capturing what's special about the farm and and in that way and 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 the particular time and place uh, that the sheep are in. So I notice a difference from pasture to pasture on how the milk uh, smells as I pour it into the vat and how the cheese tastes uh, four or five, six months later. And I... um, and I, and I wouldn't want to lose that. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't. Want, I'm not out to make a cheese that tastes the same year round, even if it's great. Uh, I'm out to capture what is is uh, special about this particular time and place. The cultural terroir. Um, yeah. Do you feel, uh, Veronica, that um, by using uh, you, you gently pasteurize your milk? Do you feel that you can still capture uh, the essence of the sheep's milk, even though you pasteurize? Uh, I do. I do feel um, that. <clears throat> I could go into some real technical reasons why I think um, our cheeses Please, taste great, go on. even though they're they're pasteurized. Um, I mean, they're they're living a, a grass based diet, and um, you know, the more rumination that goes on uh, in the animal, the longer um, the amino acid chains um, that are created, and um, those amino acid chains are are, are what get cut up in the in basically in the ripening in the affinage uh, process yes um, sheep typically have more uh, small and medium chains which is why um, a lot of their cheeses can be um, piquant in flavor like you know like think of pecorino um, but um, you know I think that um, that still can that uh, the grass-based diet is really what's uh, the most important thing to creating flavor in cheese. I make a lot of soft cheeses and small yeah. format cheeses, so um, that's one of the reasons I pasteurize. Um, the other reason I chose to make those cheeses um, was because I ha- don't have a lot of aging space. So um, you know, well, you want to turn it over. You want to you want to be able to turn it over uh, turn it over quickly, correct? Well, yeah, I mean, I just didn't have the luxury of being able to put cheese away for four, five, six months. Um, so, you know, I needed to, to make a, a small format cheese. Um, and the larger cheese that I make, uh, Lorenzo, that ages four months, um, I, you know, we don't have as many sheep as David. So um, I have to use several milkings 
And I chose to pasteurize that just to have some uh, consistency and some control with um, with not necessarily pathogenic bacteria, but um, psychotrophic bacteria, which can live in the bulk tank and cause kind of off flavors um, and general funkiness, but not in a good way. Yeah. Bad funk is bad funk. We're, <laughs> we're going to have to take a short break, but uh, we'll be right back, and uh, we're going to talk about some of the challenges between the old school and the new school. Thanks a lot. All right. Since 2001, Heritage Foods USA has sold pasture-raised, antibiotic-free heritage meats to restaurants and homes around the country. Our farmers raise their animals with care using traditional methods guaranteed to produce the very best-tasting meat. Our pork breeds include Berkshire, Red Wattle, Duroc, Gloucester Old Spot, Large Black, and Tamworth, and our beef comes from Piedmontese, Angus Akiyushi, Belgian Blue, Highland, Simmental, and Belted Galloway cattle. We also carry a rotation of 24 rare breeds of heritage chicken, seasonal specialties like lamb, goat, geese, and of course, heritage turkeys. Visit us online at www.heritagefoodsusa.com or give us a call at 718-389-0985 to place your order today. Welcome back to Cutting the Curd. We've been chatting with David Major of Vermont Shepherd and Veronica Pedraza of Meadowood Farms. As part of the Old School, New School series, I've asked cheesemakers about challenges they've faced, both past and present, producing like their small-scale artisanal cheese. And uh, the regulatory ar- environment around cheese has become a recurring topic in this series. Like this past week, the FDA announced it will not permit American cheesemakers to age their cheeses on wooden boards. And imported cheeses may be subject to similar inspections, like even though the practice of curing cheese on wood boards has been going on in Europe for like a millennia. And I wanted to get both of your thoughts on this, since like most of America's best cheeses, most celebrated cheeses are aged on wood. And many of the European of the old, Europe's oldest and most traditional cheeses and their best cheeses are aged on wood boards as well. So I mean, I want to ask you a question: like, why should we care so much about this issue, and why is the aging of cheese on wooden boards so important? Veronica, you want to expound on that for us? Um, well, I mean, I don't age any cheese on wooden boards. Um, I use all. I have small format cheeses, so I use uh, stainless steel racks. Um, at Jasper Hill, we ate aged cheese on uh, on wooden boards. Um, I'm not. Uh, I know that a lot of people are very upset about this, but I'm kind of just uh, biding my time to see what happens um, because the way I understood um, this was that this was a clarification on an existing policy that the FDA, FDA has. Um, and so I feel like, um, okay, if this has already been a policy that they've had, um, people have already been aging cheese on wood, um, I think that it's going to take a little bit of time probably to implement. And also, um, I, I don't know if it's going to, I don't think it's going to stand. Well, this, yeah, this is part of the of the 2011 Food Safety Modernization Act, which is a focus on preventing contamination instead of responding to it. Uh, David, do you age on wood? 
I do, and uh, I, I consider it very important uh, for the the uh, aged natural line cheese that we we make, and. Um, I, you know, the FDA uh, serves an important function and has done our country a great deal of good over the years in many ways. And uh, however, I think in this case, uh, the policy that they've got uh, is going deserves a little rethinking. Um, I uh, sometimes things are counterintuitive, and uh, I agree with that. It, and in in this case. Um, it's kind of like uh, lettuce, for instance. You'd think, well, uh, I'm, I'm packaging lettuce and I'm selling it in the supermarket, so I better make, I better, uh, to, in order to keep it from uh, rubbing up against the uh, the potatoes next door and so on, I better stick it in a bag that is airtight. But you do that, and you're going to have some mushy, crappy, bacteria-filled lettuce in a couple of days, um, or um, get a cut on your finger, and you think, well, I'm going to clean it up. Uh, why don't I seal it up good and tight? So there's no other, no other bacteria to get in. Uh, seal it up good and tight with a piece of electrical tape, and you'll get an infection uh, in a matter of hours. Put a Band-Aid on it that breathes and allows water and air to come and go, and you'll uh, have a healed-up cut. Well, in this case, um, the cheese, if I, if I stuck my cheese on uh, stainless steel for, for uh, four, five, six months or more, uh, some as long as two years, I would get that sort of mushy lettuce-like look that uh, lettuce is if you just leave it in a plastic bag that can't breathe, and um, and it would be no good. Um, and I, I think uh, you know it 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 it, it sounds good uh, from a a very simplistic abstract point of view. Well, we don't want any porous surface because it'll harbor bacteria, but in actual fact. Uh, what uh, what grows on the rind of cheese is a is a uh, rind that um, that preserves the cheese and and uh, keeps unwanted bacteria from growing and uh, that rind needs a porous surface like wood to in order to be able to grow so um, so I I think that in in this case. Um, uh, I would urge the FDA to take another look at this, this situation because it just—it really doesn't make sense. And and I, all you have to do is look at the situation in uh, those cheeses that have been made for millennia in Europe to to understand that. Right, and also on top of that, in 2013, uh, the Wisconsin Center for Dairy Research published a paper concluding that wooden boards were safe. They were able to be cleaned, and any sort of pathogens were able to be cleaned off of them. I mean, I agree the the flavor. Uh, a cheese to me has always been like a sponge; it absorbs flavors around it. But I mean, maybe you know, it, and you know, if you keep a piece of cheese in your refrigerator next to a piece of fish, it's going to smell like that. Um, yeah. But if you keep it next to a nice, uh, a nice piece of wood that smells like cedar, it's also going to smell like that. And Veronica, I mean, you did you experience that at Jasper Hill with the soft cheeses that you made? Or um, well, I mean, the soft cheeses were were not aged on wood. Um, the eight, you know, the Cabot on Cheddar, the Landau, right. Bailey Hayes and Blue, those um, sort of, I don't want to say harder cheeses, but... Uh, more mature. Cheese, more mature cheeses uh, stayed on wood. I think that, you know, science is on is on the side of cheesemakers on this one, and I think that ultimately what I would like the FDA to do is to say that if you can demonstrate that your product is safe at the time that it leaves your facility, you can do whatever you want. 
um, I think that that's the most reasonable thing. They're asking, you know, with the passage of the Food Safety Modernization Act, they're asking us to do a lot of evaluation of our process steps and to do environmental sampling um, to make sure that pathogens aren't present in our environment to begin with. Yeah. So... I mean, that, that your HACCP plans are required, and you get increased federal regulations and inspections due to that act, correct? Correct. Um, I mean, they don't require a HACCP plan. It's recommended. I think that it probably will be required um, down the road, so I think everybody's kind of just getting on board and doing that. Um, and, you know, there's certainly things that you can do, um, I guess, to kind of alleviate some of the stress of an FDA inspection, like environmental sampling. Um, so, I mean, I think that if you can demonstrate that you make a safe product, that, I mean, that's what I think would be the nicest, <laughs> the, the most nicest. agreeable and <laughs> rational uh, thing for everyone to do. Um, demonstrate that your product is safe, demonstrate that your facility is clean and sanitary, and it doesn't matter if you age on wood, plastic, or stainless steel racks. Now, why do we why do we feel um, that this that this law is being enforced now, David? Could you tell me why 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 do you feel this is coming back now when this law has been in the books since two thousand eleven? Um, I that's a good question. I I know that it's been uh, kind of the, the folks at the FDA have kind of grumbled about this subject over this subject for uh, a number of months now and um, why now boy it beats me I, I it just uh, me too yeah <laughs> say again me too that's what I was that's why I'm asking I, I don't yeah. I, I mean I, I'm, I'm I'm wondering myself I guess I mean, the, I know the FDA that, uh, sees it as the next frontier <laughs> I don't know I really don't know Veronica what were you going to say I know that the FDA visited several facilities um, in New York State, actually, um, and I think that there were a few facilities that had to issue recalls because they found Listeria monocytogenes in that facility, and those cheeses happened to be aging on wood. Right. I don't know if they found Listeria monocytogenes in the wood, Um I don't think that getting rid of wood in a facility is going to <laughs> going to eliminate listeria, which yeah, is, I think, their their main concern. Um, I think they just wanted to. I think that there was um, some questions um, on behalf of the New York Department of Agriculture um, about enforcement of using wooden boards, and so the FDA kind of um, clarified their stance. Um, for the benefit of uh, the Department of Ag in New York State, and that affects everybody. Yeah, what what does it what does it mean for? Uh, I have another question for you guys. What does this mean, in your opinion, for imported cheeses that are aged the same way? Or do you have? Well, I, I I I mean, obviously. Uh, I can't it, imagine it, a world without Parmigiano and, right, and Conte right. in my in my in my refrigerator and on my my shelves. You know, no, that would be absurd. And 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 I think it will be the absurdity of the the ruling will will soon come into focus. Uh, I mean, obviously the 
FDA, no, no, the government, no one wants to to uh, you know, put harsher uh, restrictions on food that we make here, uh, and uh, and yet still accept uh, food that has less harsh restrictions. Um, uh, from elsewhere, and that just makes a completely unfair, unfair playing field. Well, well, um, and and uh, and furthermore, um, you know, those those cheeses have have been demonstrated to be safe over decades and decades and decades, hundreds of years, and uh, it just it just. Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't make sense when you start looking at it from that standpoint. No, and, and you also have you have name control cheeses of Europe that that I mean require these things to be named on to be to be aged on wooden boards. I am um, I'm sorry we got off topic there for just a second. I want to bring it back, you know, again to the uh, to the old school versus new school. But I guess America and this was a recurring this was a theme last week when we talked. I guess we are the we are the new school. All of us here are we not? Yeah. <laughs> we. We are the brave new world of everything. Um, I, I just, you know, it just seemed like too important a topic not to talk about. Um, sure. You know, in in closing, I want to ask you guys both a, a quick question. Um, so, David, um, you know, what's the, what's the future for Vermont Shepherds? Um, are you uh, are you are going to are you a family institution? Are you going to be turning it over to uh, to the youngsters afterwards? And how how's Vermont I, Shepherds going to be? I able hope to make? so. I mean, between my wife and me, we have five kids, and all of them have expressed some interest and. And we'll see how the world turns. But yeah, I hope so. I, it certainly things are 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 lively and going great right now. So um, so we'll see. So no matter what happens, uh, the 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 Vermont Shepherds is going to remain in the family. I certainly hope so. Yeah. And and Veronica, what's your what's your what, what's your take on that? Uh, how, what's um, what's your future as a, as one of the best cheesemakers in America? Easily, um, are you going to stay there? Are you going to leave a leave a legacy at the uh, the Meadowood Farms? Or have you I hope it? so. <laughs> I hope I'm not going anywhere. Um, I'm. I. I want to continue making the cheeses that I've been making. I've expanded to uh, to making some cow's milk cheese. I know the Juvendale. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, so you're it, so you're going to stay there until they drag you out. Is basically what you're going to say. <laughs> uh, I think it's a mutual. I don't think they want to drag me out. So <laughs> no, of course not. Well, you just have an interesting your 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 story. Like Dave, like when I when I was doing this series, uh, the old school. Um, to me, like in Europe, I you know I visit a lot of cheesemakers, and there's generational. Uh, you know, there's generational um, cheese making passed down, and that's to me is the old school story. And yours is a uh, is the new school story. You know, you uh, you were a cheesemaker and then a cheesemonger, and now you're a cheesemaker again. And um, and I just think that it's interesting uh, interesting to note. So I really I like to compare up to compare up. Yeah, the two I, uh, and I grew up in Miami, Florida. Right, a cheesemaking really like hub a, of America. I mean, <laughs> a dairy mecca of America. Absolutely. <laughs> And uh, you know, David, I know um, because I'm a New Englander too um, that there's a like there's always been a solid um, agricultural and dairy community up there in New England. Right. But I wanted to thank you both for uh, for being on the show. Um, I really enjoyed talking to you both. Both of you make some of the best cheese in America, and um, I'm really happy to to sell and to be able to eat both. And uh, I want to say to everyone who's listening, uh, please join in our quest to preserve old foodways and old cheesemaking traditions in particular. You know, call your state reps and senators and post to social media with the hashtag Save Our Cheese. Uh, raise awareness, awareness of this critical topic. You know, thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Cutting the Curd live on the Heritage Radio Network. Okay.
Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.